Welcome back to the Lantern Rouge Cycling Podcast, Tour de France Stage 12 recap here with Benji Nyson to recap this sleepy stage. You've got to have these during a Grand Tour, not every day. It can be max excitement. Our show is brought to you by our show partner, LaCole, who produced Performance Cycling Apparel. The profile of this stage and the weather conditions played a huge part in the result we had. Benji and I have been mentioning for a while that we don't think we, – we thought if a band of strong rulers got together, Alpha Center Quickstep don't have it to bring it back. And on this 160K stage from Saint-Paul-Trois-Châteaux-de-Nîmes, there's a lot of rolling hills, uh, like 4.5Ks, 5% is the longest one. Uh, the last climb is 4Ks at 3%. It starts with some rolling hills, and we had some strong winds at the start. It even delayed the start. Uh, Mistral winds, apparently, if I'm listening to French TV correctly. And, yeah, that basically meant that people were attacking from the gun and large groups of people. But, yeah, Benji, even from the neutral, there was people almost like fighting for position in the neutral zone. Yeah, it was very odd. In the neutral zone, we had... The car being on the right side of the road and one motorbike on the left side of the road kind of blocking the peloton to make sure they know they can't pass those two vehicles to already go because we're still in a neutral zone. The flag hasn't waved yet, so you can't launch your attack yet. And the motorbike was a bit ahead of the car. And because of that, you had this skewed view of the left of the peloton being further ahead than the right of the peloton. Then people on the right tried to pass the the red car a bit. We came towards the zero kilometer uh, mark to actually stop the neutralization and start the race but they decided to lengthen it a bit because stefan kung i think was behind in the neutral zone some mechanical F- most likely well, or something like that okay formula as well and this was odd because well Redom was like okay easy guys easy let's not go yet we're gonna wait a tiny bit i'm gonna jump back into my car and in a second i'll pop my head out and i'll wave my flag for you okay and um a good like kilometer later we saw the riders that were behind the peloton get back into the peloton and this was just before a roundabout section with a narrowing part where they had to go to the left and the thing is you can't stop the neutralization just before the narrowing part because then you're basically launching all those people into a rather dangerous narrowing section you might as well wait until afterwards but the problem is if you do it exactly after the narrowing part which happened today then if something happens in the peloton that kind of ruins the, the pace of people at the back and stretches the peloton out, then it's kind of unfair because the people at the front are going 49k an hour and the ones at the back are almost standing still because someone almost fell in that section. And that's what happened today. Felt like a bit of a, a botched start to me, but in the end it seemed like it didn't... Well, it did actually matter, to be honest, because like immediately from the start we saw people trying to form echelons. The Koenig went yeah. to the front and so forth. We saw that Bollet as well was hammering it at the front of the peloton, trying to set up a split or go in a move, combination of both, and the split of the peloton in the middle, which is kind of as a consequence of having it so thinned out, so stretched out already because of the neutral section being cancelled just after that narrow section. Just a bit of a an odd start to me, and I don't know, it felt a bit weird. And Björk and uh, Vigar Stecklangen were behind the two flat engines for Tadej Pogacar. He was immediately isolated. Now, whether that's because of the situation Benji just described, I, I would guess so, although we've also been critical of UAE's team so far. So t- but th- the point is they were behind. Thomas was in the second echelon of no moment because he's not on GC. Same with Port, but just, you know, Ineos without riders, Pogacar pretty much doing everything on his own in Group 1. Uh, it came back together. The initial tax got brought back. I think we saw 
yeah, we saw Terji moving up. I like Terji for this stage, but his move wasn't allowed to go up the road. And I'm trying to think, no real GC contenders actually were caught out of the first echelon, to be honest. Uh, it was just guys frantically trying to come back. I think Alaphilippe bridged a large group yep. to two riders. So Alaphilippe is interesting. A quick step, instead of using Asgren and Ballerini to get the move, and it looked like people really, you know, strong rulers or Flandrians would be able to get in the break today. And if a group of 10 of them went, the break was going to win 100%. It's, it's interesting to me that Asgren and Ballerini, I didn't see trying too much. They they went with Alaphilippe and we eventually got our, our break. Connor Swift was very active early, winner of Trobro Lyon this year, which is quite a nice one-dot-pro race. But we had that break. Uh, Sergio Enel, Edvald Bosenhagen, Bissiger, Connor Swift, Alaphilippe, Brent van Moor for Lotto. He had his teammate, Harry Sweeney, the young Australian there, who we've been hyping up a little bit. Edvard Turns, second in Belgian national champs. Greipel, Mezgetz, Kung, Erfati, and Pollitt. So some throwbacks, Benji, Bosenhagen and Andre Greipel. <laughs> uh, the minute you saw them go, surely it was nap time. I, I, I put the uh, alarm on for 40Ks to go, and I just went to have a sleep, to be honest. Yeah, I didn't actually take a nap, but I did not end up watching the entire stage from that point because the second they went, then it was 20 seconds. I was, okay, this break is going because you've got a rider from the Koenig in there, so they're not going to pace for Cavendish. They're going to try and keep it a very simple day. Nobody else can take green points as well, so not that big of a deal. Too many riders in the break, so it will be like one or two points at the intermediate sprint, so it's not even bothersome to sprint for, stuff like that. You've got... A team like Bora don't have Sagan anymore. We'll talk about that a tiny bit at the end here. Andre Greipel, well, Israel, I don't feel like they were going to pace. Uh, and Edward Jones is in here and so forth. Like A lot of riders from potential sprint teams are also in this breakaway. And you've got Connor Swift, for example, for Buhani. So Arkea is not going to pace as well. And the teams that are left is Alpeson. They started pacing a tiny bit at the front, but... Good luck, Alperson trying to pace down Bissiger, King, <laughs> Paulid, Erviti, and so forth, the flat god. So not going to happen. And like, then we have DSM, who should have been in this move. Like, But back to the race. We've got this breakaway in the peloton. We know that oh, limited amount of teams that could chase here. Most likely they won't chase because, let's be real, Kisbol, uh, yeah. DSM is probably the kind of team that would still pace for Kisbol on the stage to try and get that break back and then realize that it wouldn't work. But they didn't do it today. Alpson tried a bit and just dropped the hammer and was like, nope, not anymore. We're not going to do it anymore. And the break was off and got one minute, two minutes, six minutes, 12 minutes, and eventually around 14 minutes. So breakaway was winning the stage. Who do you think was your uh, favorite hit? Uh, probably... I wanted Edvard Bosenhagen or Greipel to win just so I could feel like it was 2009 again. Yeah, um, same. But yeah, strange that there was no DSM in there, but break was winning. I think Pollitt wanted to use the hills, the small ones we did have on this course, to put riders like Swift and Co under pressure, Alaphilippe as well. And the average size of this break was like 1.88 meters and 78, 80 kilograms. And I didn't really actually have a firm view, Benji, because a lot of these riders we don't really see get to go for their own options or they're always coming 7th to 10th in, in stages. Like Imanol Erdvati, remember, I was like, he's strong, he's in this break. But if I remember from Torino Adriatico, the stage, Madsworth Schmidt won stage, or five maybe, he's the guy that just pulled everybody. Uh, I wanted Kung to win. Mezgetz was quick last year, multiple seconds in the tour. Edward Turns, okay form. Could a lot of use numbers. 
I didn't really have a firm view on it. And then it was, I think, Niels Pollitt wanting to split that group up more. If you're Pollitt or Kuhn or Sweeney or Irvity, you don't want to go the line with Greipel, Mezgetz, Turns uh, or Connor Swift. So they, I think, Pollard attacks in a group of four. And, uh, yeah, he uh, – was that a 50Ks to go, Benji? Yeah, 44 or something. 50K was the attack, and, uh, yeah, he got called back at 54, 44K to go by uh, a lot of riders because they kept on attacking one by one to try and catch him again. And that's what you have in these kind of groups. This is what allows people to ride away. It's the fact that when somebody tries to ride away, like a Pollard here – you have the situation where the others in the group are going to not really want to cooperate to try and catch them because you've got potential sprinters in the group. Mezgetz, you've got Greipel still there, considered a pretty fast rider in his history, and stuff like that, which means that you want to try and drop those, so you're going to try and bridge instead of cooperate with them to try and close it. And that's what was happening, left and right attacks. And also by Greipel, an attack by Greipel, it's been a while, <laughs> but it was great to see. Eventually, the first bullet attack was... Uh, called back up and uh we saw some more attacks afterwards forming a, a nice little group yeah again we have this last climb of the day gradual climb about three percent average gradient and we had Pollitt, Erviti, Sweeney, Kung. we'd had the group behind again not really cooperating too well Alaphilippe like attacking and stopping Connor Swift then we had riders dropping out of it Edward Turns was trying but then no one was helping him and then this group of fours on the climb back, like, oh, 30 second lead, 29 seconds, holding it stable. Eventually they drop Stefan Kuhn on that climb. This is with like 20 Ks to go. Somewhat surprisingly, he then went back to feed. It was actually 15 Ks to go. Went back to feed straight away. Maybe he ran out of energy or something because uh, it wasn't that steep a climb. And it was Sweeney doing a lot of that work, winner of Baby Lombardia, I think last year or the year before. But eventually that group of three weren't going to go to the line together. I think Pollitt still probably would have been the quickest in a sprint, but he attacked Irvity and Sweeney after that climb. We've got like a fast uh, false flat downhill section in the last 12 kilometres, 60 k's an hour average, and Pollitt attacked really hard. Sweeney looked at Irvity to close it. He'd been sitting on actually for a fair while or after that climb, and uh, that was it. Pollitt gone. You saw the snap. He immediately has got 15 seconds, and Irvity and Sweeney, tried to work together but they just kept losing five seconds every kilometer so Niels Pollitt goes up the road the day that Peter Sagan leaves the Tour de France you gotta be pretty happy with that Bora Hansgrove they've had a tough tour so but far leaving. pardon <laughs> but and he's leaving. leaving and leaving the team at the end of the year allegedly Pollitt wins the stage his first Grand Tour stage win 31 seconds ahead of Erdvati and Sweeney who come in second and third then Kung. Mezgetz, Greipel, Turns, Van Moor, Alaphilippe, and now Swift, Bolsenhagen, Bissiger. Bissiger seemed to crack a bit, Benji. Kind of surprised. Yeah. Thought he'd be, maybe he did too much work early on. Uh, otherwise, the peloton just rolled up over the line about f- five minutes ago. They were 15 minutes and 53 backs and only outside the time limit. So not the most memorable stage in the tour. I think you can talk about parkour design, what Quickstep could have done with Asgren and Ballerini, but at the end of the day, in a, in a grand tour of 21 stages, you're going to have stages like this where the peloton just don't feel like it that day or the break is too strong. And, uh, yeah, I don't think there's anything else to say really about the stage, Benji. Yeah, it's uh, it's kind of sad, huh? <laughs> oh, <not laughs> I really. don't know. 
uh, I'm not a huge fan of stage like this personally. Like the Jiro stage of uh, of Dowsett, uh very similar to me. Like you liked the Betiol stage, for example, in this year's Jiro. For me, that's a similar thing. I don't know. I don't have like this oh, hype for breakaway stage. Uh, <laughs> I, I tend to enjoy a sprint stage more or an actual sprint at the end of the stage and stuff like that. I do enjoy like the tactics of breakaways, but today it didn't really feel like there were too many tactics involved nah. in the breakaway itself. Just riders riding away, then people not really cooperating because there's a sprinter there, and then riding away again, and then riding away again, and Paul was alone. So that's basically the story there. It's uh, it's intriguing, but uh, that's that. I think that this is always fun though to see how the uh, domestiques get a, an opportunity of getting a stage win. I think that's the beauty of these stages though, because you wouldn't like likely see, uh, for example, uh, a Mezgets going in breakaways or a Bolson Hagen. Like it's been a while since we've seen him do something. <laughs> Last year's tour. It's fun to see that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he only comes around every every year. Last year's tour. Didn't he get top? He came second on stage seven last year. Uh, we hadn't seen him for like two years before that, probably. Yeah, but just one of those stages. That's always going to happen. If you want to check out our show partners, uh, products, Lecolve, they produce performance cycling apparel made at the base of Monte Grappa in Italy. They also produce a Mountain Pro Air kit, uh, an homage to Mont Two that we saw yesterday. You can use code LRTDF20 for 20% off all the coal items during the Tour de France. That's LRTDF20. They've also launched their new lightweight collection for cycling in summer, uh, which you might want to check out as well. And so thanks to Lecole for supporting the podcast. Some other news, Benji. No change on GC, obviously. Peter Sagan left the Tour de France this morning. Uh, you already mentioned it. I think we almost expected this because he just looked in in bad shape almost the whole of the last week and it seemed that crash really took it out of him. I think that there's a lot of riders that just in general, I think uh, the crash are doing a lot for riders that we expect more from in this Grand Tour and just are not hitting the uh, standards. And we saw it earlier in this stage as well with Borden Thomas. Thomas on paper is relatively decent at echelons, I would say. And he was caught behind as well in the initial echelons. Like, it wasn't surprising that a board was caught in the last echelon. That's basically uh, always. But um, stuff like that, just the injuries are influencing people and it's noticeable and it's impacting the uh, way that the race is ridden. And that's basically all I've got to say about that. And it's tough to know how many are affected. Like, is Koos still struggling from a crash? Was Jonas not so good for a week and now he's coming good after crashing a few times? He's crashed like four times. Uh, we know that Sagan is going to do Paris-Roubaix in uh, October. Is he doing the Vuelta now? Now that he's finishing the tour early, does that overlap with Roubaix? I'm not sure. Uh, no, it doesn't. It doesn't overlap with Roubaix. So does he do the Vuelta? He'll do, he'll do Worlds, obviously, that suits him. Um, yeah, it's, it's a shame because he actually looked in okay form in the sprints given that you know he came fifth on stage four the day after he got crashed by uh, Caleb Ewan. Yeah. So. Just a shame, but green jersey, obviously, if, if Cavendish makes it to Paris, which he, he really is he looking like he will be, we don't think Yeah, but yet. he'll be able to refuel next year at Total, so he'll be fine. Tomorrow's stage is from Nîmes to Carcassonne, 220Ks, a classic transition stage. There's a Category 4 climb with 50Ks done, the Côte de Pique-Saint-Loup, 5.5Ks at 3.7%. Um, but this rolling, uncategorized climbs for the rest of the day, it's very similar actually to today's stage, to be honest. And yeah, the intermediate sprints 
halfway up, it looks like. A small climb. Matthews and Colbrelli probably will try and take points there on Cavendish, but be expecting a break to be gone by then. So unless they're in the break, their intermediate sprint point opportunities are pretty limited tomorrow. And um, yeah, break or, or Cavendish again tomorrow, Benji. I think the finish is a slightly uphill rise, like false slight uphill yep. in the last kilometer. Do you think that suits Philipson more than Cavendish? On paper, yes. Um, but it also depends on the run-in towards the sprint. If it's technical, for example, then the lead-out is going to be very important. Now, what will the Gunning do if they see this profile? Are they going to just do the same as today? I think that might be a mistake. Putting an Philippe in the breakaway, for example. If an Osgrain goes in the break, I, I trust it more. But if you've got Cavendish and you've got the green jersey, I think that the thing that might incentivize them to not go for stages like this for sprints is because then a Colbrellian and Matthews are less likely to gain points on Cavendish if it goes wrong. The less sprint stages you have, the less stages they have to come back to you. Like, yeah, that's, that's a fact. And that's why I think today as well was a bit of a factor of like, oh, if they don't want to win the stage, that's all good for us. But if that happens again tomorrow, it might be a similar stage as today. I just hope... Um, I just hope not. <laughs> yeah, it really looks like a, a strong break of rulers could try again. And Van Aert wins. Yeah, I think Van Aert wins from the group anyway, to be honest. That slightly uphill dragging finish, I really like Van Aert for it. Uh, maybe he should try and just get in the break though, Benji. Would it, the problem is if he gets in the break, you're not going to work with him. So <laughs> that's another problem. But yeah, yeah, maybe a stage to definitely watch at the start. And then see, is the peloton keeping it close at four minutes, three minutes? If they let it out to eight minutes, go and do something else with your life unless Van Aert is in the break. But that's all from us today. And we'll see you with the recap of stage 13 tomorrow. If you like the podcast, make sure you give us a like down below on the YouTube channel if that's where you watch or give us a review or a rating on podcast players. Ciao.